Welcome to Lakewood Sermon Podcast. We're glad you're here, and we'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 online at lakewoodok.com live. Or we'd also love to see you in person at our campus in McAllister. Good morning, Lakewood. Um, right now, I'm in my office. It's a Friday morning. And I'm recording this because, unfortunately, uh, this week we found out that our whole staff is potentially has potentially been exposed to COVID. And so, uh, as a precaution, we are all in quarantine today. Uh, so as you watch this right now, uh, we are all at home with our families joining you online. Um, I wish I was in the room with you, uh, but I'm very thankful that I can still be a part of this, even if I can't be there in person. Uh, so before we dive in today, though, I have to say a, a really heartfelt thank you and express my appreciation for everyone who has uh, stepped up so that our church service could happen today. Uh, I want to say thanks to Jeremy for leading worship. I'm sure he did an incredible job, and the whole team really did an incredible job. Uh, I want to say thanks to everyone who's running the slides, who's running the sound, who's running the lights, who's running the live stream, not to mention those that helped us get life groups ready and coffee made and donuts picked up. Uh, Lakewood really is a team through and through. And it's really humbling to see the church step up and be the church and work together. And it's my prayer uh, that as a church, we can continue to do things like that. Uh, So thank you all very much. Uh, We really, really appreciate it. Um, Well, we're in week number two of 2 Timothy. We have this series that we started last week. And really, this is Paul's final letter uh, that he wrote before his death. I mean, he's in prison. He's cold. He's lonely, and he's waiting for death. We talked about that last week. And so in this state, in this final state, he reaches out to Timothy. Now, Timothy was like a son to him. So as we read this letter, it's like we're reading it as a father would write to a son, giving his last words. This letter is the passing of the baton of Paul's mission from Paul to Timothy. And so Paul is really saying, hey, Timothy, listen These are the things that you need to know to continue the work that I've begun in my life. And his goal is to pass on that calling. So think about that, because now let's let's just stop and we're going to read together uh, the text for today. So let's, let's read this together. It starts in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. It says, You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure every, everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign. And if we deny him, he will also deny us. 
If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray together. Jesus, I, I really I ask that today that you would speak. Um, God, I know it's not ideal uh, recording this in my office rather than being with the church family on Sunday. Uh, but Lord, I ask that you would speak through all mediums. Uh, Lord, please uh, take these words and help us to understand what you were saying. Please grant us uh, your wisdom. And God, give us the courage to apply it to our lives. Please give us the humility to accept correction. And uh, Father, to take that conviction and put it into action. Uh, Lord, we love you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to go back to the beginning of that passage. Uh, it's in 2 Timothy, starting in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to kind of go through this a piece at a time. So Timothy, or so Paul tells Timothy, You then, my child. So we already know, like, Timothy is like a child to Paul. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And once you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul tells Timothy to take the gospel and entrust it to others that it might continue to be shared. Uh, Paul's concern here is that his work in bringing the gospel to those that have never had a chance to know and understand it, that that would continue. And this is a work that's not just passed on to Timothy. It's actually a work that's passed on to us as well. Because we have an obligation to the world to bring the gospel to them. We owe the gospel to the world. But Paul doesn't just say, take this and go and God will bless you and life will be easy. He doesn't just give Timothy that, hey, this is all you have to worry about. Just go do it. He tells them and he shows that bringing the gospel to the world is a difficult and dangerous undertaking. So in verse 3, Paul encourages Timothy to share Christ's suffering as a good soldier of Christ. So it's not just equip people to share the gospel, it's also a calling to share in the suffering of Christ and to join in that mission. But we know that joining in that mission, we're not just, in, we're not just joining in the joys, we're joining in the suffering as well. And really, Paul uses this war symbolism often in his letters. In Ephesians 6, we're told to put on the entire armor of God. In 1 Timothy 6.12, we're told to fight the good fight. And now, in 2 Timothy 2.3, we're told to be good soldiers. Paul had an understanding and an experience that bringing the gospel to the world is a fight. It's something that takes something from us. It's a fight that we enter into and something that will and should cost us. In 2019, a World War I movie uh, called 1917 came out, um, and it gives a really good picture of what Paul's talking about here. See, in the movie, we find that the leader of the army has found out that this battalion that's about to attack um, is actually going to be stepping into a trap. And so he orders these two soldiers to cross through the enemy territory to get to this battalion to stop the attack. He gives them this, uh, this command on this paper, and he says, Give this to the battalion leader and stop the attack before all of these men lose their lives. And this movie follows that journey. And so we see them go through so much uh, pain and so much struggle, so much uh, danger and death, because they're trying to bring this life-saving message to these 1,600 men before they step into certain death. Um, 
really, if we were to take the urgency of the gospel and put it into a movie, it kind of looked like this. Um, because there's a whole world right now that doesn't know the soul-saving power of Jesus. And we have this message that could save them. We have the message that they need. Not only do we have the message, but we have the imperative from Jesus to bring that message to them because they don't realize that they're stepping into a trap. They don't realize that their path leads to death, but we have the life-giving message. It's, it's what Jesus calls us to step into. It's what Paul is calling Timothy to step into in this, in this passage. And so that leads us kind of to the first point we have today, which is that the world is desperate for the gospel that we have. We possess what they need, even if they don't know that they need it. But the truth is, is that if we're going to go to them, we have to do it with the understanding that it's going to require us to deny ourselves. And Paul tells us here that we need to take up our full armor. He tells us that we need to enter the battle because so much is on the line. Paul continues his calling to Timothy by using uh, three illustrations that point us to three things that we're going to need if we're going to take up the calling that Jesus has for us here. The first is in uh, chapter two, in 2 Timothy 2.4. Paul says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus puts the disciples in a boat, and he sends them across the Sea of Galilee. They end up being caught in a storm with the wind against them. And in the middle of that, they look up and they see, see Jesus walking towards them on the water. I can't, I can't imagine what it would have been like to have been a disciple at that point. Uh, one, because I get seasick worse than anybody in the entire world. Uh, but if I'm on this ocean or the sea and the waves are coming crashing, I'm not expecting to look out and see some guy just walking towards me. But this is what the disciples see. And then Peter has the craziest reaction out of all of them. Uh, this is what Peter's response was. After seeing Jesus walk towards them on the water, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, if I'm in a boat and the waves are going crazy, my thought is not going to be, hey, I want to walk out on the water and do what Jesus is doing. My thought is, I'm really glad he can walk on the water so he can come to me. Uh, but Peter is talking to Jesus. He says, if it's you, tell me and I will come out of the boat and walk out to you. And so Jesus says, all right, come on. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. See, Peter has this incredible moment of faith, followed by this pretty ordinary moment of humanity. Um, he gets out, out of the boat. Can you imagine like the feeling once your feet actually hit the water, but it's firm? Like that's your act, it's actually holding your weight. But he gets out of the boat and he begins to walk out. And then when he finally gets beyond the safety of the boat, uh, where he can't, you know, reach it for the last ditch or anything like that. He finally gets out in the water. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. And instead, he sees the obstacles that are between him and Jesus. And his focus goes there. That's why he fails. He lost focus. He took his eyes off of Jesus. And Paul shows here that a soldier's main responsibility is to fulfill his mission. If you're a soldier on the battlefield, you have to focus on the mission that your commanding officer has given you and ordered you to complete. And our goal is to please the Father, to complete the mission that he has set before us. But we can't do that 
if our attention goes to what Paul calls civilian matters or things that are not part of what God has called us to do. So when our minds and eyes keep going towards all of the uh, rabbit holes and tangents and distractions and pursuits that our culture finds worthy, we really what we do is we take our eyes off of Jesus and instead we place them on lesser things expecting them to give us the purpose that Christ has given us. So our next point of the day is this, that we need to be focused. Our mission is forgotten or diluted when we take our eyes off of Jesus. Our mission is too important to be diluted. It's too, uh, it's too essential for us to lose focus. And so we're called to keep our focus. Paul calls Timothy to this. Paul calls us to this. Paul continues with a second illustration in verse 2-5. He says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So we know we're supposed to be focused. But now Paul uses another analogy that he's used before, the, the athlete. You know, he's talked about this before. You know, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We run the race with perseverance. But now he says that the athlete doesn't get crowned unless he uh, competes according to the rules. So the question I have when I read that is, what's he talking about? Um, let me put it this way. Imagine that I were to be able to run the 400-meter sprint in the Summer Olympics. Look out, Summer Games, here I come. Um, I know it's a stretch, but go there with me. Um, so we're at the starting line, right? You know, I get my feet on the chalks, and we're ready to go, and uh, we're waiting for the pistol. But what if, when that pistol went off, Everybody else just takes off running forward, but I start running backwards. And I just keep going backwards until I finally get past the finish line. And then I stop, and then I just run that 15 feet, and I cross the finish line. And I'm like, yay, I won! Um, technically, I would have crossed the finish line faster than anybody else. Take that, Usain Bolt. <laughs> no. Um, but I, I would have I passed the finish line before anyone else, and it might make it on ESPN, but I would not get a medal. I wouldn't get the crown because I didn't follow the rules. Um, the path matters. It matters in the world. It matters with Jesus. The path is important. And similarly, when the prize and goal is reaching God, the path matters. John 14, 6, Jesus tells us that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we see that the path of, to God is a path through Jesus. That Jesus is the only path. And you might be sitting there today and thinking to yourself, of course it's Jesus. Of course I believe that. But really, how many times in our lives do we attempt to be our own saviors? How many times do we try to provide for ourselves, to try to satisfy our own wants and needs, where we try to follow our own paths, but we're called to the path of Christ? So our second point, or our third point of the day is this, that we need to follow the path. There's only one savior, and we are not him. This should really be a conviction and a comfort. See, you're not Jesus, thank God. <laughs> but you're not Jesus. You don't have to provide for your own standing with God. But also, you're not Jesus. So stop trying to be the hero of your story. He's the hero. 
He is the hero of our story because he's the only one that can do what we can't, which is put us in right standing before God, meaning making us seem perfect and righteous when standing before the Father. So follow the path because it's the only one that actually leads where we are called and created to go. And now Paul gives us one more piece of the puzzle in chapter 2, verse 6. He says it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Notice that Paul doesn't say that it's the farmer who gets his share. He's intentional in his language here. He says that it's the hardworking farmer. Work matters. The work of the farmer matters. And what does the hardworking farmer do? He plows, he plants, he tends his crop. And if he doesn't do those things, he never really will experience the harvest. It's just like if I bought a field and I didn't plow, I didn't plant it, but then I just sat there and waited and one of you comes up and says, what you waiting for? And I said, uh, corn. And then you say, did you plant corn? I said, no, but I'm waiting for it. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. We have an understanding through this passage, through our own experience in life too, that to reap a harvest, we have to plant the field. We're, count, we're called to plant and work the field that God has set up before us. In Matthew chapter 9, uh, starting verse 37, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And in Galatians 6, 9, it says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So our next point of the day is this. Work the field. Our opportunity to enjoy the harvest is squandered when we don't take part in the planting. So Paul has told Timothy, and he's told us, to be focused. He tells us to follow the path. He tells us to work the field. And the more I think through these, the more it dawns on me just how big these charges are for us. And I'll be honest, I kind of feel... Like, I'm not enough for it. Um, like, I, I, I don't have enough capacity to pull off what Paul's talking about here. But then Paul gives an inspiration that we all really need to be able to do this. And that inspiration is found in chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In 1836, thousands of men under the command of Mexican General Santa Ana led a, laid a siege to a mission called the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas. Now, inside this mission, there was this small band of supporters of Texas's independence from Mexico. And 13 days after the siege began, every one of those men was slaughtered. But the story doesn't end there. After that incident, the phrase, remember the Alamo, became the battle cry uh, for the Texas Revolution that eventually ended in victory. But they would, shout, they would shout, remember the Alamo as they went into battle. But what they were really saying was this, remember their bravery, remember their sacrifice, and push forward. 
Remember what these, what these people have done and persevere. And here Paul gives a similar battle cry. Whenever he gives these big callings to, to people that would be followers of Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, that would be followers of Jesus, he tells them, this is your battle cry. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember what he did. Remember his humility. Remember his passion. Remember his passion for the lost and the discarded, the outcasts of society. Remember his sacrifice and persevere. Because when things get hard, and things will get hard, when we're more swayed or more easily swayed to fear or fury, it helps us to remember the one who came before us. To remember the one who is the hero of the story. The one who makes us righteous before God. And so our next point is this. Remember Jesus. Because when we do that, when we remember Jesus and all that he has done, we can be focused. We can follow the path because we trust where it's going. We can work the field because our eyes are fixed on him. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We serve a victorious hero of a God. And we are called to fix our eyes on him. And when we do that, we are able to follow and to, uh, well, we're able uh, to be focused. We're able to follow the path. We're able to plant the field. We're able to do the things that he's called us through because he does them with us and through us. Paul finishes this section with four truths uh, for us as we follow this path. Um, it starts in 2 Timothy 2, verse 11. It says, This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It's interesting. There are four promises that Paul makes here, but really it's, there are two comforts that he gives, and then there's kind of a challenge, and then there's another comfort at the end of it. So we're promised that if we lose our lives, we will gain his. That if we endure, we will also reign. But then we're also warned that if we deny him, he will deny us. Now, Denial is different than faithlessness in this context. In this context, to deny Jesus is a permanent walking away from his grace. But faithlessness here is a more temporary struggle. And Paul says here that even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. When we see Peter falling into the waves earlier today, or in Mark 9, when we see a father who has brought his son to Jesus, and he cries out, Lord, I believe, only help my unbelief. We see the very real struggle to hold on to faith, but it's a battle that we're called to fight. It's a race that we're called to run. It's a field we're called to plant because even in our struggle and our fight, in our times of faithlessness, God remains faithful. So be focused. Follow the path. Work the field, but do all of those things understanding that you can only accomplish them through the power of Jesus at work in your lives. You're not the hero but we have the privilege of being a part of the story. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we love you. Lord, I ask that you would take these words and that you would implant them in the hearts of your people. God, that you would send us out into the world and we would get excited and that we would be focused and that we would be diligent. God, help us to be soldiers in your battle. Father, help us to be focused. Help us to follow your path. And God, please put it in us to see the fields you put before us and to take the steps uh, to work in that field. Uh, God, we love you. Lord, I ask that your word would continue to come to life with us, that your Holy Spirit uh, will continue to move. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.